do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts are words we can all understand. Do's and don'ts are words that express rules and boundaries. Behavior considered acceptable and appropriate, and behavior considered unacceptable and inappropriate. Now, most of us were reared in homes that had do's and don'ts. Anybody? He had do's and don'ts. Okay, most of us were reared in homes that were do's and don'ts. And the don'ts are probably easier to remember. Don't interrupt someone while they're speaking. Don't use your brother's toothbrush. Don't wear your brother's clothes without asking. Don't play football in your dress clothes. Don't talk with food in your mouth. Don't chew with your mouth open. Don't burp at the table. Don't do this. Don't do that. Now, that was just in our family. Those are some of the the don'ts we had. Every family has don'ts. Every group actually has don'ts. It might be your workplace. It could be school. It could be any number of places. Then there were do's, the do's. Do take out the trash. Do rotate dishwashing chores. Do mow the lawn. Do practice your piano, violin, clarinet, or trumpet. Do your homework before watching TV or playing video games. The do's. Every family has do's. Every group has do's. These are expectations of behavior. Most of us had do's and don'ts growing up. And this is true not only of our human family, but it's also true of the family of God, our church family. Now, there are some cautions before we talk about do's and don'ts. In the church or in Christianity, we tend to think of our faith in terms of external observable behaviors, what we can see, the do's and the don'ts. And that our behavior determines whether or not we're included or excluded from the family or the family of God. Well, let me just draw an analogy. We were born into our physical human families, physical birth, and we had nothing to do with that. God and our parents did all the work, okay? Our birth was totally out of our control. We just showed up. And in the same manner, our spiritual birth, when we are born again was accomplished by God through Jesus. We did not accomplish our spiritual birth or affect it. We can only prevent it. We can't cause it in a spiritual sense. God, by his Holy Spirit, is the one that gave us this new life. Now, no analogy is perfect, but after our physical birth, we became part of a family with boundaries and ethics and do's and don'ts. And these became part of our behavior that's ingrained in us, part of our character, became part of our our nature. And in like manner, when we join God's family, certain behaviors become part of our nature. We're changed. We we have a, a spiritual rebirth, and we're spiritual beings, and we desire to please God our Father. So naturally, or really supernaturally, certain do's and don'ts become who we are. It becomes our character. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You have the old and you have the new. You have the prequel and the sequel. It's another way to say it. The prequel and the sequel. The old and the new, the before and after. We're in the book of Ephesians. 
And the, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, a group of people with pretty, a pretty dark past. They had a pretty dark past. They had a prequel of bad behavior. The city of Ephesus, where they lived, was a hotbed of sin and immorality, prostitution, idolatry, a lot like the communities that we live in today. So he had to give them some guidelines, okay? He had to give them some guidelines, some do's and don'ts. He gave these to primarily to the Gentile believers, those that were new to this monotheism that was Judaism, that was Christianity. Now, just a note, this is a danger. These new believers did not earn their way into God's family by do's and don'ts. They were born again into God's family. And as a result, they now needed some guidelines. It says, this is what God is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what a follower of Jesus is. We don't earn our birth, and our birth should result, however, in certain behaviors, do's and don'ts. So this is what kingdom people look like, think like, and act like. This is what they are. And I'd like us to turn to Ephesians 4. 5, Ephesians 5, I'm sorry. Ephesians 5, we're going we're gonna to look at the first 14 verses. Ephesians 5, the first 14 verses. And hear what Paul is saying to them and to us today. Be imitators of God, therefore, dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of the guidelines he lists here are similar to God's top 10. God's top 10, our series that we looked at on the 10 commandments. Now, some people think that God is up there somewhere looking down on humans and saying, find out whatever they're doing for fun and make them stop. Okay? That's how we picture this God. He doesn't want us to have any fun. But see, God established when he created the heavens and the earth, he established relational guidelines. And those guidelines are vertical, how to relate to God, and horizontal, how to relate to other people. And when we live within those guidelines, it brings physical, emotional, and relational health. There are do's in how we relate to people and do's in how we relate to God. And he gave us these guidelines out of a profound love and concern 
for our well-being, for our well-being. Living within these guidelines brings prosperity and peace in our good. So what are these guidelines? What are these guidelines that he lists here? Let's start with the don'ts. Okay, we'll start with the don'ts. Number one, the don'ts. The first one is sexual immorality. Letter A, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is sexual sin of any kind. Sexual actions outside of God's express guidelines. And remember, God loves us and he knows best. He created us. So what does this mean, immorality? It's, it means he's talking about sexual expression outside of marriage. Outside of marriage. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, bestiality, all those kinds of things. And it includes, it includes lust or the desire to have someone sexually who is not your spouse. Okay? So it's not just the action, it's also the desire. Jesus said to look on someone with lust and desire is like the act itself. And that includes pornography on the internet, magazines, movies, and a lot of television today. And Paul writes to them and he writes to us today, there must not even be a hint, a hint of sexual immorality. God made sex, God made it good, and God made sex pleasurable. His guidelines, what are his guidelines? His guidelines, he says, practice sex in marriage, a committed monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for life. In Matthew 19, 6, it says, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? We're not going to talk about divorce and remarriage as a topic for another time. So the first don't has to do with Sexual immorality, sexual immorality. The second one has to do with impurity, impurity, letter B. This relates to sexual sins as well. Impurity is the opposite of purity. Purity is defined as the control and direction of sexual desire and impulses in accordance with the law and purpose of God. His law and his purpose. God gave the guidelines, and obviously there were problems in Ephesus with Impurity, just like we have in Eau Claire today. When impurity becomes pervasive, it gains acceptance, even among Christians. That's one of the things. When you see it all the time, it becomes pervasive. It, it gains this kind of loss of shock value, and it, kind of, it gains an acceptance. And these guidelines are not just for the youth of our culture. They're for people of all ages, all of us. Now, does God give us this prohibition to spoil our fun? That's the question. No, it's not to spoil fun. It's to preserve a beautiful gift as an as a exclusive expression of love and intimacy between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Purity means using God's gift the way God created it to be used. A lifetime, monogamous, exclusive relationship with another person, a man and a woman. A man and a woman. Now, if we redefine marriage, which has been done, obviously is very prevalent, and if you speak against it, it's hate speech, of course. No, I'm just speaking the word of God. If we redefine marriage as between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, the next step in impurity and perversion is what one of the cities in Massachusetts has done. They have now defined marriage, and you get a marriage license in this city 
for something that's called polyamory. Polyamory, which is like marriage between a group of people. One man and two women, or two women and one man, or several of men and several women. It's called polyamory. That's, you, you can get a marriage license in this one city in Massachusetts for polyamory. That's a definition, redefinition of marriage. And it's ludicrous. Once you leave the definition, God's plan for marriage, it leads to all sorts of nonsense, sort, all types of impurity. Ludicrous. And, of course, the rules of language, you know, and this, if you've been watching any part of the news, the Democrat-led House of Representatives does, no longer allows terms that gives gender distinctions. Gender distinctions are no longer allowed. There are outlawed words. This is our National House of Representatives. In that, there's not supposed to be any words like man, woman, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, cousin, brother, and sister. Who else is there? You can't use those words according to their procedure passed just last week. Impurity leads to all kinds of nonsense. The third one is letter C is greed. Greed. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how capitalism, which is the basis of our economic system, capitalism will never work properly in a culture of greed. If you if you don't have the ethics of giving and serving one another, capitalism just ends up being greed and accumulation. We have to have giving. We have to have generosity. Greed is selfish indulgence at the expense of others. I'll never forget, I, I had one of the top salesmen in a company in our church in Tacoma. And, you know, we, I had this picture of salesmen, of what they do and how they're operating, what their motive is. And, and so I, his name was Jim. And I said, Jim, um, you're the top salesman of this. It was a plumbing supply company. And I said, what motivates you? What motivates you? Is it making the sale? Is it making money? And, you know, he said, oh, no, no. So what motivates me is serving people, fulfilling what they need. Their money and, and, and bonuses, they had nothing to do with that. He was, his whole motivation was serving people and fulfilling their needs. That's, that's, that spoke to me about the, the, the pure motive of capitalism. We're here to serve one another. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Greed is selfish indulgence at the expense of others. Verse 5 uses the word and calls a greedy person an idolater. The God is money or consumption. Now, the question is, do we have a problem with greed in America? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we do. Capitalism run amok. Last, two weeks ago, we talked about working for a living, not just to fill our needs, but in order to share something with those in need, not just to accum accumulate, but to share, to give. What can we give away? That is opposite of greed. Now, when we think about greed, some people bring up the issue of gambling, okay? What is the motivation or reason for gambling? And this can be the lottery, the slots, casinos. It might be corporate gambling in the stock market, okay? Let's make it company-wide or personal gambling like other things. The question is, is greed the motivation? And asking the question, what is my motivation? Is it so I can contribute more to the starving in Calcutta, India? 
Or is it so I can get that new possession or house or boat or car? What is my motivation for that? So greed, greed. It's a hard thing to deal with greed. So the don't, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Verse 3 says these are improper for God's holy people. In other words, these should not be the, the subject of thoughts or conversations. And let me just say something. This includes watching immorality. Watching immorality. There's something insidiously seductive about watching other people sin. Watching other people sin. Movies or TV. He says, do not let these things be included in any part of our lives. He says, it's a contradiction to be called a saint because we are God's holy people and to take pleasure in watching or discussing these sins, to make light of them or to excite the passions of other people in them. Now, many of us, like there are certain TV shows we like and we watch them over season by season and we come to enjoy them, but the thing that I've noticed and this, this goes back way to the 60s and 70s and um, all the way up to right now. TV shows that we come to enjoy, they, they incrementally insert illicit behavior. And the behavior kind of goes down, down, down. And, and it happens so subtly that we go, we just kind of don't notice that at first. And then pretty soon it just starts getting overt. And we see it in some of the shows. They, they just insert immorality or they insert a homosexual uh, relationship and show it as normal. They do, there are certain things that they do. And we slowly begin to accept it and say, well, I'll just kind of go with that. We are called to holiness, to holiness. Incremental and insidious insertion in watching immorality. Then Paul moves to number four. Number four. Remember, again, let me just say this. We don't earn our right standing before God by what we do. Okay? We're not going to earn our right standing before what we do. And we're not going to earn our right standing before God by what we don't do. It's not what we do and don't do. It's because of what Jesus has done. Okay? Just keep that clear. One of the dangers of preaching on a passage like this is we measure, well, I don't do that, and I do this, I do that, so I, I guess I'm good. No, that's not how we earn a relationship with God. It's not by what we don't do or what we do. It's what Jesus has done. Letter D, obscenity. Obscenity or filthy speech. Um, this would be morally impure talk. And we think in, think in terms of vulgar terms, words typically banned from the public airways, or they used to be banned from the public airways. But included in this, don't, talk that concentrates on the base things of life. On the base things of life. Just, you know, just... It's like body functions and potty humor, you know. Um, it's inserted everywhere in comedic uh, movies and comedic TV shows, and it's just like a potty humor. Now, we all have body functions, but are we so depraved that we have nothing else to talk about? And people say, oh, it's part of life. Well, so is diarrhea, but we don't watch it for entertainment. Okay, let me just say that. It's not, you know, and, but it permeates and you just watch TV shows and they, potty humor. He says, this is bad. It's not good. Morally impure. Or, or the different types of music that, that glorifies hatred or racism or violence against women or immorality. It's obscene. And we find obscenity in all kinds of parts of our society. Pop music, rap music, country music. TV comedies with 
innuendo and double meanings and sitcoms and late night comedians. It's just, there's all this stuff going on. He says, stay away from it. Don't participate. Don't listen. Don't watch. Don't do it. Don't support it. Don't support it. Then there's foolish talk. Foolish or trite or meaningless talk. Someone said, small talk is okay if it leads to big talk. Okay, I, whatever. And we always start with small talk. What's the worst sin you've ever committed? No, that's not a small talk. Um, you say, oh, so where'd you grow up? Or what do you do for work? Or tell me about your family. That's small talk. Then it leads to, to more important things. If we stay on that level, he said, move. Move, move beyond that. Of, of no significance. Then there's, he uses the word coarse joking, or the phrase coarse Joking, and that's self-explanatory. They just be basically dirty jokes. Enough said. Don't. What are the results of this? Verse 6 says, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. These people, he says, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Wow. Now, it's not caused by the dues. It's an indicator of that. In other words, the caution is don't do not exclude us from God's family any more than do's include us in God's family. Let me say that again. Don'ts do not exclude us from God's family any more than do's include us in God's family. And I have this quote. Don'ts do not exclude, they diagnose where we are. Do's are not causative, they are evidences of changes that have already happened. Let me say it again. Don'ts do not exclude. They diagnose. Do's are not causative. They are evidences of changes that have really happened. What we do, the do's, what we don't do, are indicators of our true nature, uh, of our previous life, the old life that Paul is writing to people that, that lived in these, these very, uh, very unrighteous or sinful lifestyles, a prequel, and the sequel of coming to Jesus. That's the don'ts. That's always the hardest part. Okay, let's look at the do's. What are the do's? The sequel. This is a sequel. In Christ, this is the new creation. What does he say to those that are believers? He said, first of all, be godlike. Letter A, be godlike. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Who, who do most children emulate? Who do most children emulate? Who do they want to be like? Who do they want to be like until they're teenagers? They, like, they want to be like dad and mom, dad or mom, one of the two. And they imitate us more than we like. We tell them, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't work very well. Those of you who have tried that, it doesn't work. I learned that early on when Brittany, about four years old, was riding in the car with me when a driver cut me off. And from the inside of the safety of the car, she yelled, you idiot! I said, don't call her an idiot. Brittany said, you always do. Oh, busted. Busted. Our children imitate it. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Scary. What is important to us will become important to them. What is unimportant to us will become unimportant to them. Maxie Dunham writes this. He says, as children of God, we are to imitate God. Imitate God. We are to act in our own little spheres as God acts in his universe and thus proving God is our father. 
Are we related? Are we related to God? Be imitators of God. Be God-like. Secondly, be Christ-like in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A life of love just as Christ loved us. Jesus gave himself up for us. Sacrificial love, which is contrasted with the immorality, which is selfish gratification, and greed, which is selfish accumulation. And he says this is a fragrant offering. In other words, this love smells good to God. What a picture. This love smells good to God. What are some of your favorite smells? What are some of your favorite smells? Chocolate chip cookies baking in the oven? The air after a fresh rain. Rolls baking in the oven. Coffee brewing. The smell of the pine tree when you when you first put that tree up at Christmas time. Maybe a certain candle. You know, God made us all with a strong sense of smell. In fact, it is the strongest of all our senses when it comes to evoking memories. Did you know that? Smell is the strongest of all our senses when it comes to evoking memories. One smell can take you back 20 years. Most vivid to me is I remember the first time in America, it had been years since I'd been in Japan. I, I was born in Japan, lived in Japan, and, and I went into a restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, and smelled the smells of Japan, and I, it took me back. I remember being on the streets. I remember being here, there. It was like, wow, one, one smell, this incredible memory of all these memories of Japan with one smell of Japanese food. It was amazing. Well, Jesus' love was a fragrant offering, a great-smelling sacrifice. And I'd like to think that every time we express an act of sacrificial love, no matter how small, it evokes in God that great smell, the fragrance of Jesus' sacrificial love. His love. Be Christ-like. Love like Jesus. God, God will enjoy the smell, just so you know. The pleasant aroma pleasing God. Letter C, be student-like. Be student-like. Verse 10 says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Learn about God. How do we, how do we learn about God? Well, yeah, we, we read the Bible. We study the Bible, the Word of God. We also do other things like study nature and astronomy and science. And, and there are a lot of things that we can learn about God. But the key is actually getting to know Him Personally, it's not, it's not just about facts. Move beyond the intellect into relationship. How do you do that? You spend time with him. You spend time with him. And, and I don't know how you get alone with God. Say, I don't, I'd never do that. Well, you need to. How do, you, how do, you get alone? How do I get alone? I, I have to go to some place where distractions are removed. It might be, it might be a, a walk in the country. It might be sitting by a lake. It might be sitting in my car looking over a scenic place, whatever. Whatever it is, get alone with God and relate to him, commune with him, talk with him, listen to him. And I find it works best to get to know God by having his word. So you read some of the word and then you meditate on it, think about it. And so he speaks to you through the word. He speaks to you directly, impressions. 
but taking time to actually get to know this God, move beyond the intellect into relationship with God. Then we can become godlike, godlike. And letter D, be light-like, be light-like, or literally be light. Verses 8 and 9 we read. Verses 8 and 9 say, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Four things that light does. First of all, light produces good. The fruit of light, it says, produces consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Light produces good. Light also helps discriminate what pleases and displeases God. And that light is not only the light of truth, understanding truth, but also light exposes our motives, our motives, because that's the inner stuff. Why do we do what we do? And it's very important for us to understand so we have pure motives. Number three, it exposes what is evil. Verse 13 says everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Visible. Exposes evil. And finally, light transforms and brings hope. It transforms and brings hope. Maxie Dunham writes, whatever the light shines on, if it shines clearly enough, consistently enough, it must, in the end, transform. Change. It changes lives. And here at Eau Claire Wesley Church, part of this family, we are here to be light. Several weeks ago, we stood here with candlelight at our Carols by Candlelight service and held that light up, and you saw how even one candle can illuminate an incredible amount of space. And we are the church in dispersion during the week, okay? We're, we're spread all throughout this county, this city. Some of you travel and you go into the other states. We're spread all throughout. We're scattered, and then we're gathered. And when we're scattered, we're light. When we're together, we're light. And light transformed. You as light are being used to transform or to change people's lives. Our motto is love God, love people, and be transformed. Not just us being transformed, but others too. So don'ts and do's. I'm glad we got through that one. Prequel and sequel. Where are you today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, by your grace and your strength, help us change in our lives. And I just pray, God, that you would continue your work in our lives as we desperately need your help in these times. And I just pray, Lord, that you would take this word, change our lives today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stay.